driving around Frederick County, it's been pretty noticeable that over the past couple years that there's been a decline in the amount of farmland and family-owned farms. The farming industry, especially those family-owned dairy farms, have been hit by the changing economics with the weather and different regulations. We wanted to talk to the next generation of farmers, those who would be taking over the family farm. First, we're going to bring in Alan Etzler, one of the editors here, who helped former reporter Kate Masters, who left during the reporting of the story, to write the story you might have read in Sunday's paper. Then we're going to bring in the co-owner of the South Mountain Creamery, who is going to talk about how this has affected him personally, his decision to take over his family farm, and how this might affect his kids. So we have Alan Etzler here to talk a little bit about the story on the next generation of farmers. And so, Alan, you mostly focused on dairy farmers in the story that you wrote with Kate. Yeah. Yeah. So we wanted to pick out dairy farms um, because we thought it was uh, illustrative of the uh, challenges that farmers have had at the at the widest scope in Frederick County. Dairy farming was the predominant uh, type of farming here in Frederick County for uh, a lot of years, for decades, really. Um, and the drop off that we've seen has been so significant that we thought it would be a really good uh, entry point into the conversation of, of these this next generation of farmers and, and the challenges that they're going to encounter as they as they take over the family farm. So just to start off, so we know that last year was a pretty bad year for farming. Terrible. Has, has this been year been as bad? No, they have. It hasn't been. Uh, so the, the two the two kind of uh, confluence of factors that made last year such a terrible year was the weather and the milk prices. Um, so we had so much rain last year that farmers couldn't um, really grow any useful crops to sell. Um, so that the crops have kind of been the the buoy, I guess, for the challenges of the dairy industry. And so when you can't grow or sell any crops, that that means you're kind of losing on two on two different ways. Um, but the the other challenge that dairy farmers have had for really the last four years has been milk prices. Um, and so. For the last four years, the milk prices have averaged at about uh, about fourteen seventy five per hundred ga- hundred pounds of milk. So they can't sell in gallons or cups or anything like that. They have to sell by the pound. And so the the price of fourteen seventy five, I don't know if it sounds low to the average person. It didn't necessarily sound low to me. Uh, but then they tell you that the cost of production, especially here on the East Coast. Um, and it's so so close to the Chesapeake Bay. The cost of production is about seventeen dollars per pound or per one hundred pounds of milk. So you're losing about uh, two dollars and twenty five cents per hundred pounds that you sell. Um, and uh, I don't know how this equates to pounds, but I would say um, one thing to look at is is the Allen family who we talked to in in this story. They produce about sixty thousand gallons um, every two days, and so that's sixty. I think a pound of milk. I think a gallon of milk weighs about eight pounds, something like that. I've been told. I don't know if that's true or not exactly, but uh, around there. Uh, and so, if you're losing two dollars and twenty-five cents on sixty thousand times eight, that's a lot. That's a lot of money that they're that they're losing each year. Uh, uh, dairy farming, and so um, yeah, th- those are kind of the two biggest challenges that they talked about, and and how they can try to lower those costs. Um, so if you look at farms out on the West Coast, they don't have a lot of the challenges of production because they can, A, have bigger farms. Um, here you can't have a 6,000-cow farm because it creates too much um, runoff and too, too many environmental factors. There's too many regulations in, in the state for that. And, and the farmers aren't mad at that. That's just kind of the way it is. They appreciate that Maryland's an environmentally friendly state. But you have to have smaller farms. That just creates an issue with how do you make money off of that? And so you, you talk to, to Ben Sowers a little later, and, and they, um, they've been kind of one of the innovators in the dairy industry of how to make money off of that, and he'll, he'll talk about that a little later. So now you've been in Frederick County for most of your life. Have you noticed that there has been a decrease in the number of farms that you've seen just even grow, like growing up and driving around the county? Yeah, I mean— you look at Urbana, and I don't know, I don't know if it's dairy farms or not, right? So to me, growing up, farmland was just farmland. When you look at Urbana, Urbana was just a, a farm in like three houses when I was growing up. Um, now there's there's barely any farmland. Um, you still have some farms in the northern part of the county. There's fewer farms on the kind of the eastern part of the Middletown part of the county, which is where we talk to uh, most people for this story. 
Um, so, th- you know, we're still the biggest, I think, the biggest agricultural county in the state. Uh, we have the most land of any county in the state. Uh, and, you know, we've done a good job of preserving it. But you definitely see there's less and less farms here because, um, you know, the developers have bought the land and, and put houses up. But also the there's less farmers, right? And so there could still be three giant pieces of farmland, but instead of being farmed by three different farmers who can make a living running a small farm, it's three, it's one larger farmer running a big farm and having trouble doing that. Um, so yeah, you, you see it kind of disappearing and, um, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge that they're trying to, to overcome. And so when you talk to these people in the, for the story, what were some of the reasons that they did decide to follow in their family footsteps and take over the farm? Yeah. So, um, you talk to, to Ben Sowers and his son Sam is is really getting involved with it. He's 15, so he's still young, and, and you don't know that he's going to take it over or not. Uh, but he, he seems interested in it uh, just because their family is innovative. What I thought was really interesting in talking to him was he doesn't seem so really interested in taking over the creamery, which you know, you'll know you talk to Ben about. But uh, he wants to take over the farm. He wants to do the labor and the, and the hard work and things like that. And, and that, that was uh, interesting because you don't hear a lot of 15-year-olds talk about that. Um, with Luke, uh, Grossnickel, um, his family has a, a farm out on, um, uh, Broad Run Road, I believe it is in, in Myersville. I might have the wrong road. Um, but, uh, so he, he wants to take over the family far, farm strictly for no other reason than it's family is his family's legacy. Uh, he, he told me that he's really proud that the Grossnickels are known for being farmers it's generations that go back. I mean, they've got a church in that in that area of town that's called Grossnickel Church, and there's farms up here that were his and farms over here that were his, and then his family bought this farm or his uh, grandfather bought that farm. So um, it's – I wouldn't – his specific farm is only three generations, but in that area, I mean, it's five or six back. And so it's it's a family business for him. It's, it's something that, that – um, it's really it's not it's not a tangible thing. It's kind of intangible of why he wants to take it over, uh, even though the industry is struggling. He wants to kind of see his family's legacy through that struggle and, and come out on the other end. All right, and working on this story, what were some of the takeaways that you walked away with? Um, a lot of admiration. Uh, you know, I I tried to put myself in, in the shoes of the people that, that I write about a lot. And I can't imagine, you know, it, it's not a good business plan right now, right? Like to lose $2.25 on every 100 pounds of milk I sell if I'm selling 50,000 pound, pounds of milk or whatever it is I'm selling. That's not a good business model. But they're trying to see their way through just to get out to the other side to where, okay, now the milk prices are up or, or now we've made it, we've gotten our costs down. They're trying everything. Um, and I'll get to the other takeaway of what they're trying, which I think is really interesting. Um, but so they're trying everything and you have to admire that. You have to admire people who are willing to endure tough times and push on because they're working for something bigger. Um, so I think that's, that's one of the big ones that I took away from, from this. The other that I really wasn't, uh, aware of before I started uh, writing this story. I wouldn't say reporting it because uh, the great Kate Masters did most of the reporting, or all of the reporting for this, and she did an excellent job, and then she left. Um, so it, it was a lot of the writing was kind of a uh, team effort there, I guess, or, or mostly uh, by me in, in that sense. But um, the the other takeaway was technology. And so I don't think of agriculture, and I don't know if other people do or not, but I didn't think of agriculture as the industry or the tech boom might be super useful, right? Or AI for that inst- for for that matter. Um, but there's a lot of talk in the agricultural industry, and uh, I don't know if Ben gets into this or not a little later. But uh, robotic milkers are a thing, and uh, both Luke Grossnickel and, and Ben Sowers talked about um, robotic milkers and how they can. Um, essentially eliminate labor costs because they run 24 7 right and so rather than having an employee who has to you have to pay to go milk milk the cows at a certain time of the day the cows just get to go in to this it's kind of like a large box with 
a robotic arm that milks the cows. And they get to go in whenever they want. They sit there for uh, like two minutes in the video that I saw. And then they walk out and they go back to their stalls or wherever they go. And so that's that's something you don't have to pay an employee for. Now, the, the issue with the robotic milkers right now is uh, they break a lot. So it costs a lot to fix and you have to have employees to pay to fix them. So rather than having an employee that you pay to milk the cows, you have a higher paid employee to fix the robots. But once the technology works itself out in such a way that they don't have to be fixed so much, they can be really beneficial for, for uh, a small or big farm, you know, in, in cutting down labor costs and being more efficient in terms of how much milk you produce. All right. Well, is there anything else you think we should know about this story? Uh, please read it. Um, you know, I, I I saw a lot of the conversation since the story has been published has been on on some on the fact that farmer farms are highly subsidized in today's society, and I think that's that's an interesting thing to to discuss. Um, in, in seeing people say, you know, it's not viable. Why are, why are we paying for it? Why are our tax dollars paying for it? And I guess the only rebuttal that I would have is, as the person who worked on the story is. I mean, it's not like you can just go to the grocery store and get your food. Like, the food has to come from somewhere. The dairy products have to come from somewhere. And so as much as people think maybe we don't need these farms, we, we really do. We need some uh, some presence of dairy farms throughout this country. And I, I think uh, I think it would it's, – it's sort of glib and, and – uh, passive to dismiss these things as something we shouldn't be subsidizing or paying for. I think they need help and, and we should be willing to, to lend a hand in some instances. All right. Well, thank you so much. As always, you can read um, our stories at projectnewspost.com and just look for um, Kate and Alan's story and make sure to read it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Um, ben Sowers. I'm co-owner of South Mountain Creamery. And so how did you get to become the co-owner? Well, my parents started the farm in 1981. Um, that was the year I was born, so I've grown up on the farm my whole life. Graduated high school and took over uh, the farming, the fields aspect of it. Um, 2001, we started the creamery, and uh, three years ago, I guess, my parents retired, and me and my sister and our spouses uh, took it over from there. And so growing up, was it something where you said, I'm going to take over the farm? Yeah, I mean, um, I always knew I wanted to be a farmer. I uh, guess I really didn't understand what that meant at the time. I mean, f- farming is a it's romantic, you know, to a, a, a you know somebody that loves tractors and loves animals. This is what I want to do. Uh, it's far from it's far from that when you get into the money and you get into the business side of things. It's it gets. You know, it drowns out all the fun a lot of times, you know, but uh, I wouldn't want to do anything else. It's all I've known. So so just walk me through a little bit, like, what does a typical day look like for you? Well, uh, me and my wife get up at one thirty in the morning. Uh, we milk um, there at the home farm, the first milking. Um, we go home 4.30 or so, go back to sleep, uh, get back up, uh, and then field work, you know, just managing uh, the farm side has 25 employees. Um, we farm 3,000 acres. We milk on two different farms, so and they're nine miles apart. So it's just a lot of managing people, crops, you know, animals, those kind of things. Um, I do enjoy the work. Uh, to tell you the truth, I I tell people all the time that my you know, they ask me what my goals are, and I say I want to be the shortest owner of South Mountain Creamery. I just, I want somebody to tell me what to do and let me go do it. And um, that's not the way it is right now, you know. So. And so how many cows do you currently have on the farm? We milk 250 at each farm. So the farm at the, at the creamery, um, all that milk goes into the creamery. The other 250 is, still goes to a co-op. Um, that's our future growth. We can't milk anymore at the home farm. You know, we we pasture those cows, and there's just not enough pasture there. So that was kind of why we bought the new farms, so we could grow into uh, the market. Um, home delivery was always where our 
that's where we made our money. Um, home delivery has kind of changed over the last couple of years with Amazon and you know all these different grocery stores home delivering. We're not. We used to be the only one. Um, now there's 16 or 17. So you know wholesale is kind of where we're getting into now. Um, it's still only about eight or ten percent of our business, but it's it's a growing number of our business. So we still always want to do home delivery. That's glass bottled milk. That's 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 our passion. That's where we started, but but it's just harder and harder to get those customers now. And so, what is the um, the majority of your business? Is it besides home de- delivery? Well, so um, on the creamery side, home delivery is is 85 percent um then we have farmers markets we have the wholesale accounts um we now have hometown harvest kitchen which is our restaurant downtown and ice cream store um so on the on the value added side those are kind of our our things we the hometown harvest kitchen trailer goes out three or four times a week to different places breweries and um, the ice cream trailer goes out a couple times a year. That's that's very labor intensive. Um, we just came back from the fair. Both tra- trailers were at the fair. It was a really good year there. So, um, so yeah, on the value added side, that's where it is. On the on the on the farm side, we farm about three thousand acres. So we we crop farm. We we have cattle. We have beef. Um, so. We kind of do a real wide array of things on the on the farming side of things too. So, and so, can you tell me a little bit more about the state of farming right now? I understand that it's been a cu- past couple of years have been rough for dairy farmers. Dairy farming is a secular um, business; always has been. Um, <coughs> excuse me. It's like chickens, pigs. It's always been the same. Where, where. There's a lot, you know, people put the chickens in, they or eggs or, or pork, and then a lot of people put it in, and then, then the price drops, and then people get out, and it's this circular motion of things. Dairy farming has kind of been left out of that. I, I mean, it's all prices have always gone up and down. When, in 1981, when Dad started, you know, prices of milk weren't, I don't know what exactly they were, but I do know that he was paying... 16 percent interest on his money um, we're paying four and a half percent today um, so so it's always been challenging it's just one of those things where banking regulations have changed a lot of dairy industry used to be you have a couple good years you get into a bad year a bank would give you interest only or they would refinance you and you could just keep going um, the 2008 issue with housing and that kind of stuff they changed that and there's so many regulations now cash flow regulations and you know what's your liquidity what how and that's called up a lot of people that that over the years have you know used their their assets to to keep cash flowing um you know new people getting into business it's it's very uh, uh debt intensive to get started and and when you know you're expecting seventeen fifty eighteen dollars a hundred weight for milk, and you're getting fourteen dollars, you're losing money. And so then the banks and everybody say cut, cut, cut. You know, so you start cutting your feed bill, and you start cutting your labor, and you start cutting to the point where your cows aren't milking the way they're supposed to. You know, the people that are there working are working eighty hours a week. You, you know, and and it's just this downward spiral of of um uh, of of not so good stuff so so um it's it's not different than it's always been it's just that the banks aren't they can't help you as much as they used to and that's kind of where this is farmers that have been farming for three four five generations and their farms are paid for and you know it's a very viable business even those farms had to you know either use all their all their uh, uh money that they saved or they had to go borrow money on the farm it's it's a passion you know if you really they say all the time if you look at it as a business what would you do well if you looked at it as a business 
and you want to make 8% on your money, it's not a very easy, you know, to do that. So, so, uh, so that's, that's where the problem is. Then you also have how many kids want to come back to a farm, how many children want to take it over. I mean, even when I was in school, there was hardly anybody farming and that was 20 years ago. Um, it's worse today. I mean, Luke Grossnickel was in that article and, um, he goes, well, he graduated, but he went to school with my son, Sam, and, and I don't know how many dairy farmers, you know, those two, maybe one more, you know, um, uh, so there's not a lot anymore. You know, even when I was there, there was a group of us that, that were farmers. So, so it's getting less and less, the land's getting more and more value, you know, and, and that's where, that's the struggles. And so talking with some of the other farmers, do, do are, are some of them struggling with the idea of having to sell the family farm? Nobody wants to sell the family farm. Far, farmers are a little bit different breed. I mean, um, <clears throat> if you're in the, if you're an accountant and, and you want to stop being an accountant and go, go be a anything else, everybody looks at that as, Hey man, that's a great, that's great. You changed your professions. You're doing what you want to do. Farming is if you sell your if you sell your cows and this is not the case um i feel it all the time too is we failed and that's not the case but that's the way farmers feel because they are attached and it is what they do so so it's an emotional it's more emotional farming is 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 an emotional business because you're on the land it's land that you're in, in my case i'm the second generation so I always feel like if if I lose it, I'm letting my parents down. People that have been farming for four or five generations, they're letting they think they are, but they're not, but that's that's the way farmers feel. So the selling of the cows is a very emotional thing. Um and and a lot more people have to see it. I mean, you know, in the article there in 2014, we um there was 99 dairies in Frederick, and I think there's less than 60, or there's 60, and, and uh, you know, a lot of people are having to do it, and and you and you feel for them, you know, you just you just wonder, as things turned out right for us, God has provided different opportunities for us that you know we've taken, and you know that's kind of why we're here today. I mean, if it wasn't for the creamery we probably wouldn't be milking cows anymore, you know, so. And so you mentioned something about people coming back to farm the, the next generation. Do you see that, you know, what can be done to encourage people to come back to their farms and to continue with the family farm? I, I think, it, you know, as in any business, there's either got to be a way to make a living or there's got to be passion um, uh, or you want them to have a purpose to come back to the farm. You don't want them just to, that's all I want to do and, and not learn other things because chances are that the farm's not always going to be there. Um, so in my case, I'm always encouraging my children, look, you know, there is other things out there. Um, go look, look at the other things. If you want to come back to the farm, excellent. But I want you to, I don't want you to just say that's all I want to do and I'm not going to do anything else and I'm not going to go out and learn anything else. Um, I don't know if college is the right thing. I mean, I didn't go to college. My parents didn't, or my mom did. She was a school teacher, but my dad didn't. Um, My brother-in-law, Tony, didn't. Um, So, but a college degree is something they can't take from you, right? So, So if you get out of high school and you go get a degree, it's always something that that's like um i sit on the soil conservation board here in frederick um and the soil conservation is in every county in the country and it's to conserve water and and soil um here it's here it's a lot bigger because of the chesapeake bay but if i quit farming today i couldn't go get a job there because i don't have a degree you know and and not that those guys don't know what they're doing because they absolutely do but somebody that's been farming and doing that kind of stuff for years, you would think I would be an asset to a place like that, but they couldn't hire me 
because of that. So that's, you know, you better get it while you're young, as, as you know, and then come back to the farm if that's what you want to do. And how is the way that you're approaching this with your children different than the way or the same that your father did? With well, you? my father didn't want me to go to college. Um, he thinks that he saw a lot of children leave the farm to go to college and never come back. And he was afraid that that would be me. Um, uh, and, and, and his generation, you know, just work hard. And that, that's something else is, you know, the last generation, if you meet the last generation of farmers, um, you know, from the 70s, 80s, 60s, um, those guys, they just work hard. And when you had a, when you had a bad year, you just worked hard, right? And the next year was probably better. Um, and not that farmers don't work hard today. It's just a different. It's different. I mean, w- our regulations. We're doing paperwork for everything. You know, we get out there at the farm. We get, um, you know, ten different agencies inspecting us all the time. You know, it's it's um it's different than it was in those days. And they just they could just go out and milk cows and not worry, but you know they worried, but they, you know, they just worked hard. The bank would give them, a, yeah, we'll we'll refinance you, we'll do this, and you just keep working hard. And that's that's not the case today. So so the kids have to, you you've got to have a niche. There's got to be something. Just coming back and milking cows, you can see is not, you know, it's dwindling. So so what is their, what's their solution? Fifteen years from now, twenty years from now, if if there's only 10 farms left, what are, what are they going to do? So so um, I think every farmer feels that way. Every farmer is very, very proud if their kids take over. That is, that's your, that's your really, your goal. What else are you working for, you know? Um, so, so yeah, I would love all my kids and, and my sister's children to come back to the farm. That would be excellent. I just don't know if that's the way it's going to be, you know. And so your sister also helps out on the farm, so this is a true family production? Yes, so um, I am in charge of the, the farming operations, and my brother-in-law is in charge of all the value-added operations. Um, obviously, we couldn't do it without our wives. Um, my sister's in charge of um, uh, payroll, uh, all those different kind of things, and is in the books, and my wife helps me on the farm as much as she can or she helps in the creamery she's she's kind of uh she's done it all over the years so she can step in we do have a little three-year-old daughter um so that keeps her pretty busy we have we have four children three boys and then a girl and my sister has two children one that just started college and one that's in 10th grade so so they're a little farther ahead too on are their children going to come back or not come back um, you know, Ruth, who is our three-year-old, she kind of, you know, she's far behind the other one. So, so the second generation, what might be in the farming farm working for 15 years before the Ruth come, you know, so, so there's also those kind of things. How does that fit in? Um, you know, if Ruth wants to come back at some point, she might be working with the third generation. Uh, I mean, a fourth generation mm-hmm. or something. So, so that's, that dynamic's going to be, but absolutely, my parents still, they're retired, but they still work every day. You know, they come out and and do whatever's got to be done. Um, and, you know, that's, that's the enjoyable part of, the real enjoyable part is that I get to work with them all the time. So. And do you think having that, that your sister and you both decided to come back, did that help with the prosperity of the farm now? <coughs> um yeah, I mean, um, I think that anytime your children come back, I mean, mom and dad are, are retirement age. If we didn't come back, they would just had to sell it, you know, or or keep farming, or or, or keep farming until they really shouldn't be farming anymore, um, just for health reasons and those kind of things. But. Um, but yeah, if we didn't come back, obviously the farm wouldn't be there, you know. And that's kind of what I said in the article too. If if none of our children come back, then then us us four are only working for what are we working for? Just for our own passion now, 
you know, um, which is fine, you know, uh, um, you know, we, one of these days if we ever want to retire and our kid's not there, you know, you, you could sell it to somebody maybe, you know, as a viable business. So, um, but yeah, you always want to work with your family. Um, we don't see eye to eye all the time, uh, but, but I'm blessed by, I'm blessed beyond anything else that, that, you know, I get to work with, you know, my parents are my heroes, um, and, and I hope that that's what I am to my children, and they get to come out and they work with their grandparents all the time. I mean, there can't be a better life than that, so. And, and looking at the other farms in Frederick, or, or the farmers that you get to talk with, are they also experiencing that similar family-owned business? Yeah, most farms are. Um, there's not, corporate farms are not, I don't know of a whole lot of, any corporate farm in this county. Um, there's big family farms, uh, but there's still families that are there working that. So, so every farm in this county is a family farm. There's no absentee owners or anything like that in this county. But, so. And do most of them share your thoughts with, with their kids on <laughs> hoping they come back, but also wanting them to look at other options? I'm sure that all farmers would want their children to come to the farm. One thing about farmers is uh, we're all very opinionated. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if you get a, a hundred farmers in the room if you're going to get you know anywhere near the same answers from each one of them. You know, um, it's just the way farmers have been. You know, so so I I know that I know of other farms right now that are working through a succession plan, working through a succession plan through some of the worst years ever in dairy doesn't make for a very good succession plan because the the parents have to retire how are they going to retire on what money the the children are going to need to take it over and make a living and there's probably not a living for both generations there so so it causes a lot of issues the the older generation says i've worked my whole life what am i going to have the younger generation is if well if you take that much then i'm not going to be successful so it's and that's why farming succession plans hardly ever work. The other thing is farming is um your your land rich. Most farmers are land rich. And when you go to sec hand that down, the government takes their big cut out of that because you're handing down a lot millions of dollars of ground. Um and you know, you better pay a good tax accountant to make that work well most farms don't have the money to pay their bills let alone pay a tax account so that's it's, it's a lot of that kind of stuff and so you know you've mentioned some of the bank regulations and some of the government regulations so what can be done that would help <coughs> out dairy farmers and help out people so that their families would feel comfortable taking over um, people have to feel good about farms again um, uh, there's been, uh, you know, with the internet and with different things and, you know, these, um, animal rights organizations that come into farms and do these undercover stories. And, you know, once they investigate that, they find that most of that stuff is false. It's fake. Um, but that, that tarnishes our, that tarnishes our business. And so, so, um, I think a lot of dairy farmers, we pay into a checkoff program millions and millions and millions of dollars and most farmers feel like that checkoff program just pays the you know it's a government run program kind of um but you know they're top heavy out there um they're all those people make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and here the farmers out here struggling and that money's supposed to use to for campaigns for dairy and it just goes to pay those people and I think a lot of times that's how, you know, the the farmer's paying the brunt of it. Um, the other thing is the way that the government regulates milk and how they, they price milk. It's not really on uh, supply and demand. It's on, on um, a very, very complicated um, program that somebody sitting in the government decides how much money a farmer's going to get for milk. Another thing that farmers... And this has been the way it is. There's no use to complain. I mean, but farmers' milk starts going out on 
you know, every day farmer's milk goes out. So, so October 1st is what, a week from now? Um, that milk that we ship out on October 1st, we have no idea how much we're going to get paid for that until like the 6th or the 7th of November. Right. So we're, and then we don't get paid for it until like the 18th of November. So all our product, you know, our product is 45 days old um, before we know what we're going to get paid or, and it's all those regulations. And I, I don't, I'm not smart enough to know that. I mean, there's a lot of that kind of stuff that there's people that are really, really up on those regulations and those milk orders and those kind of things that, that um, federal orders through the milk co-ops and, but Maryland, obviously you can see it. Maryland's milk deficit. We do not have enough milk in this state, but it's, it's cheap to ship it, ship it from across the Mississippi where the west of the Mississippi is not milk deficit. They're up like 12 or 13% for the year. Here we're way down east of the Mississippi. But, you know, when you got DFA, Dean Foods, they're the biggest co-ops that are, they're, they're national. They can just move milk around, right? So, so, um, so that, you, you got to get, you've got to get to the point where a f farmers have to get a niche. We have to get our, our product out there, and we need to tell the people how good that product is for us with the money that we're paying in. Um, and we got to get consumer perception back where it belongs. Um, the regulations aren't going away, you mm -hmm. know. Um, they're just going to get worse. Uh, uh, so we just, you know, farmers adapt to that. We adapt to the new regulations. There's always new ones. Uh, and we just keep moving on. But that's kind of what I said in that article where uh, there's these big, big dairies out west, um, North, Northwest, Midwest, Southwest, they don't have the regulations we do. You know, they don't have the manure management that we do. Their, their cost of milk out there is like $13 a hundredweight. Um, do you understand that? How we no, get that? if you could explain that a little so bit. So farmer gets paid, that's how we get paid from the co-ops is by the hundred pounds of milk. So if you have a thousand pounds, you have 10 one hundreds. So if they pay you $15, you get $150 for that milk. That's how farmers get paid for their milk is by the 100 pounds. So, you know, the banks then look at what is your cost of production per 100 pounds. Um, those farms out there that don't have the regulations and they don't have the, the climate that we do here, um, they're 13, 1350, 100 weight. So when milk was 1450, $14, they're making money. They're not making as much as they were, but they're making it. We're losing three or four dollars a hundred here. You know, so um, we cannot get our cost of production down because of manure regulations, because of of all the different environmental regulations. We just can't do that. And we also can't have with the, the, the Chesapeake Bay and all those kinds. You just can't have a, you know, six or eight thousand cow dairy here. There's not enough feed close by. There's not, a, you, you know, it's you're just you're spending a lot of money. So. So that's that's where the the northeast is 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 different than out there because you know the climate's better suited for those kind of things and we get a lot of rain we get a lot of snow we get a lot of you know our climate changes all the time you know the saying in Maryland is if you don't like the weather wait five minutes mm -hmm. that's you know cows don't like that kind of stuff either so so looking to your future, you're still feeling relatively comfortable for the next couple of years? Comfortable is not a good word at the moment. Um, through the last couple of years, money has been terrible tight. You know, from the, from the changeover from mom and dad, you know, what I was talking about, lawyers and accountants and, um, you know, all the costs associated with that, um, with... With the dwindling milk prices, we lost 25% of our crop last year to the rain. Um, you know, 2018, I saw Mr. Allen in the paper there. He's a, he's a lot more knowledgeable than I am. Um, he, he said it was the worst year he's ever seen. Um, uh, I would tend to agree with him, but I have a limited knowledge of, of years compared to what he does. But, 
if if a gentleman like him says that that's pretty that's that's a very bold statement and that didn't help farmers you know um so comfortable is not a good uh, we're not comfortable uh we we have trouble cash flowing um uh, and in any industry well the dairy industry and and you know your bank gets paid first right if you don't pay your bank uh your utilities your employees they all get paid or you're not going to have any um and you go on down the line down the line and the people that don't get paid are your friends and the and the um and the vendors that are are local vendors they're the ones that start backing up and pay and backing up and um so so um that's that's also the other hard part of this whole thing is is it's often your friends that that you know and you care about that you know they have a hard time cash flowing too because of the farmers but but uh no we're not going anywhere um me and my brother-in-law and my and my sister and my wife we debt is not something that we really like um my dad was very comfortable with debt um we're just not that comfortable so what we have to do is figure out how to get that debt down and and we really don't want to sell land that's the that's what was hand that was what came down from the first generation so so you you're always trying to make other moves we would sell land if we had to it's just that's our last resort but but we will do what we have to do to make it work and that's so we're going to be here a long time i just you just don't know what it's going to look like next two three four years you know so all right well i think you've answered all my questions but anything else you think we should know no i think you know it's a I appreciate you letting me come and talk about it. So. Well, we appreciate you coming in yeah. and talking to us. Yeah, thank you. All right, thank you. Yeah. So before we move on to our weekly food review, we did want to briefly touch upon the um, alleged assault that happened at the Great Frederick Fair um, on Friday. So we brought in a county government reporter, Steve Bonell, who has been reporting on this throughout the weekend. Um, so Steve, can you just give us a very brief overview about what happened yeah, sure. So uh, Friday evening at 5.30, uh, there was an alleged assault involving two juveniles, one 15 years old, one 16 years old. We've since learned uh, through a hearing today, Monday, uh, that essentially uh, there were multiple punches thrown. First, uh, allegedly, there was a 16-year-old after there was discussion with uh, this man, 59-year-old man, uh, John Weed, uh, that he, uh, the juveniles asked for a dollar. The 16-year-old allegedly punched him in the back of the head. There was another exchange or kind of a brief break for a minute or so, and then there was a 15-year-old that allegedly uh, threw another punch and Weed fell to the ground. And uh, Saturday, uh, around 4 o'clock, he was pronounced dead uh, at a shock trauma center in Baltimore. And um, before we go on, I just want to note that we are not including the names of the two juveniles. And this is because the state's attorney's office will not confirm the names of the two juveniles as they are charged as juveniles. So, Steve, can you then continue and tell us what we've learned today after hearing at the district court? Yeah, a lot of us, there's been a lot of speculation about what charges these two juveniles are going to face. Uh, the Frederick State's uh, County State's Attorney, Charlie Smith, said today that Right now, they're still looking at uh, manslaughter charges, uh, murder charges, specifically second-degree murder. I talked with him on Sunday evening. Uh, he said right now the evidence doesn't show that those are in play, but uh, he didn't completely rule them off the table. He said that this is still very early on in the case and that investigators are still getting information, um, be it videos or just information from witnesses at the scene Friday evening. So just to be clear, since I was at... The hearing earlier today that Charlie Smith uh, mentioned that they are looking at manslaughter. Um, they did not believe at this time that there was intent to kill, which he said was required for first and second degree murder charges for the two um, juveniles. And I believe it's only the one 15-year-old that they're considering That's the correct. manslaughter. Yeah, I, I think it just goes to show how fluid this is right now. There's a lot of information that is still coming in. Investigators are still reviewing the, 
this by no means is a closed case. I think that's very important for our readers and listeners to take into account. Um, it was a very brief incident Friday evening. I can't imagine it lasted more than five to ten minutes uh, total, but this is far from a closed case, and I just want to emphasize that. And another thing that's developing is the age. Or, or we know their ages, but um, what they will be charged at. So right now they're continuing to be charged as juveniles, um, but there is a chance that they might be charged as adults later on that would require the state's attorney's office to waive them into the adult system because Maryland law does not automatically charge them as adults because of the what they're being charged with and what how old they are. Yeah, Charlie mentioned that to me on Sunday too that that's pretty uh, simple procedure they just pretty much file something in court and the judge reviews certain criteria um, and will make a decision then. Um, I believe you were there today when he said that they're still determining whether to go that route so um, we do want to mention that I think came out on social media that there is a possibility this was being investigated as a hate crime. At this point, the state's attorney's office has said that there is no indication that there was a hate crime right now. Um, that, that It is a developing story, so that might change. But as of right now, I believe Charlie Smith said, spitting on a man is not a hate crime. This is not being considered as a hate crime. Yeah, and that it was basically over a dollar, uh, not over race, I think was one of the quotes he gave at the press conference. So... This is, a, again, a developing story. The next hearing, I believe, for these two um, boys is October 22nd. Um, so we will be continuing to follow this story here at the Frederick News Post. If you want to catch up on what's already been reported, um, first by Ryan Marshall and then by Steve, you can also check out those stories online. So Katrina Pereira is our education reporter, and she's been on a couple times to talk about some stuff about education. But now we'd like to introduce her as our new food reporter as well as education reporter. So Katrina, welcome back. Thank you. Um, and where did you go this week to eat? This week I went to Padmini's Curry Grill. And, you know, I don't want to give too much away because they can re- read your review in 72 hours on Thursday. But can you give us a little hint about what you thought? Sure. So it's a kind of like a Indian Chipotle, I would describe it as. Um, you get to go in, you pick your base, you pick your curries and any sides that you want. And um, you have a nice little rice bowl in front of you um it's pretty good for the most part um there might be some improvements that can be done but you can find out more details in the review and of course have you got multiple times to review this place yes i actually went three times and tried um a variety of curries and appetizers just to make sure that i was getting the full scope and you know um again we don't want to give too much away But was there a particular curry or a dish that you tried that you would recommend? Yes. Um, If you've never tried Indian food before, I highly recommend the samosas. Um, They're vegetarian. They're filled with potatoes and peas. And I just think it's a really good introduction to um, Indian flavor. And how about the time? Because you you mentioned this is a kind of like an Indian chipotle. Uh, Is it a pretty quick meal? Yeah, I think that you can be in and out of there in a half hour. So, you know, if that's all you got for your lunch break, I think it's perfect. And so you mentioned that they had these samosas that are vegetarian. So options for both meat eaters and those who are not eating meat? Absolutely. A lot of Indian dishes are vegetarian because a large portion of the Indian population is vegetarian. So I think regardless of your dietary restrictions, you can probably find something that you can eat. And how did you hear about this place? Um, I actually just kind of stumbled upon it while I was out reporting another story. Um, I had stopped into a shopping center to grab something to drink, and I saw it, and I thought, hmm, this might be good for a review. And I understand this is a new location, but they have another one? Yes. So their original location is in the Deerbot neighborhood off Route 15, um, but they just added a new location two years ago to the Westview Village Shopping Center. Well, awesome. Well, again, if you want to read... Katrina's food review. Check out 72 Hours, which comes out on Thursday. Katrina, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Frederick Uncut is produced by me, Heather Rangilio, and edited by Graham Cullen. We'll see you next week.
Driving around Frederick County, it's pretty noticeable over the past couple years that there has been a loss of farmland and farms. The farming industry, especially those family-owned dairy farms, have been hit hard over the past couple years by economics, weather, and other reasons that family farms are starting to decline. So we wanted to talk to the next generation, those who would be taking over the family farms. First, we're going to bring in Alan Etzler, one of the editors here, who's going to talk a little bit about the story that he wrote with former reporter Kate Masters. And then we're going to bring in the co-owner of South Mountain Creamery, who's going to talk about how this has affected him personally and how it might affect his family going forward. Driving around Frederick County, it's pretty noticeable that over the past couple years, there has been a decline in farmland and family-run farms. Farming, especially the family-owned dairy industry, has been hit hard by economics, weather, and other reasons that have caused some family farms to close shop. We wanted to talk to the next generation of farmers, those who would be taking over the family farm. First, we're going to bring in Alan Etzler, who is one of our editors, but he helped former reporter Kate Masters, who left during the reporting of the story to write the story that you might have read in the last Sunday edition. Then we're going to bring in Ben Sowers, the co-owner of South Mountain Creamery, to talk about how this has affected him personally and his family going forward. <laughs> 